together to the book of Titus, chapter 2. Our text this morning is a very short one. It is verse 15 of chapter 2. Just to remind us of what we have seen last week, I'll begin our reading at verse 11. So if you would please give attention to the reading of the Word of God. The Word of God is completely without error. It is perfect in all of its parts. It is perfectly applicable to you and to me. And it is, as we shall see in greater detail, Lord willing, completely authoritative over our lives. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray that he would add his blessing upon it for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask this morning that you would open up your word to us, that we would not only know you better, but that, Lord, we would obey you. We would hear you and listen. We would believe what you tell us, that it is true, that we would follow after your steps. Lord, meet with us and bless us with your presence in your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. One thing that has marked the American people for many, many years is a rejection of authority. Some of you remember the days of the late 50s and 60s when it seemed like the only thing you could do was reject authority in any form, whether parental, governmental, school. Anyone that was in authority was bad. You remember one of those sayings, don't trust anyone over 30. Well, that generation grew and had children and passed on the fruit of that. The rebellious songs of the 60s just took on a bit of a different beat. I remember as I was growing up, one of the, the most popular songs was, I fight authority and authority always wins. And I grew up and had children. And then I look around now, and now not only are there picketing in the streets, not only are there songs, there are people that take over portions of cities. And it doesn't seem like anyone is capable of wearing their pants properly. 
You can't even tell someone to be, not even to be modest, but to not look foolish. As soon as you say that, there is a suspicion. Now, there is a sense in which, I think, in the church, we view that as a problem out there. For other people that can't control their kids, that can't control their wives, that can't manage their husbands, that don't know what they're doing. But the problem is, is that this is not just an American problem. It is a problem that is bound up in our hearts. It is a sin problem. That we rebel against the authority of God. And it is a problem that doesn't end when we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, of course, the largest authority problem in the universe. Not submitting to the Creator not believing, trusting by faith in Christ. But once we have, then we still push against God's plan for us. We still wonder if we just don't have it a little bit better figured out. This morning, Paul in a very direct way tells Titus, and he tells the Christians at Crete, and he tells me and he tells you that authority is important Authority is part of the gospel. Because the gospel is an authoritative proclamation of King Jesus. And so this morning I would like us to see three things about authority. First, we will look at the source of this authority. The source of authority. And then secondly, we will look at the exercise of authority. The way that Paul describes for Titus how he is to minister to others in an authoritative way. And then third, we will look at the purpose of this authority. Why God has given authority to his people to declare his truth. The source of authority, the exercise of authority, and the purpose of authority. Let's begin then by looking at what authority is and is not. What is the source of authority? What makes something authoritative? Well, I think we can first begin by looking at what authority is not. Authority is not our preferences. Have you ever noticed how prone we are to describe something as being the best and only way to do something because it just so happens to coincide with the way we do it? Oh, the only way, the only way that you cook this meal is this. I do this myself. There's only one way, by the way, to cook sauce. It's the way I do it. Well, it's because it's the way my mother did it. And it's the way my grandmother did it. And my great-grandmother did it when they were over in Italy. So especially if you're not Italian, don't tell me how to cook sauce. It's how everybody likes it. It's my preference. Now, there are other ways. I'm sure there's only one way to boil crawfish. I'm sure there's only one way to decorate a house. I'm sure there's only one way to enjoy life and it happens to coincide with our preferences if we like to travel or we like to be at home or whatever and you see that is incredibly dangerous when we take that into spiritual realms this is actually how most of the world thinks most of the world thinks that truth doesn't matter that there is no reality that all that matters is what I think is important and this time of year is one of the most dangerous times of year for this. Because Christmas becomes whatever we pour into it. 
If we want to pour Disney characters into it, it is so. Or Frosty the Snowman. Or a time in which we're supposed to be warm and greet each other with a hearty handshake and hug. But you see, we don't get to define what Christmas is by what we like. That's not the purpose of Christmas. And we know this because we have something else that is a real authority, an authority of God's Word. We cannot, as Christians, fall prey to thinking what we think is the ultimate authority. If you think about it, many of us complain about even the way our politicians seem to buy into this. There is a groupthink that goes on. Everyone governs by polls today. They just want to find out what's the best way to please the most people, not what's the best way to solve problems. We see this in theologians as well. Everyone has their own interpretation of the Bible. If they don't like what the Bible is saying in one place, well, then they dismiss it as, well, Paul's just being cultural here. They don't like a book. Even someone as powerful as Luther can look at James and call it the epistle of straw and would, in some level, like to take it out of his Bible. There are parts of the Bible that make it difficult for us to live the way we want to live. And our first reaction is to excise them. One of the most famous examples of this is Thomas Jefferson. You can go to Monticello and see his Bible, which is a Bible that he literally took scissors to and cut parts out he didn't like or agree with. Now, I don't think you've done that with your Bibles, but do you cut parts out without scissors? The parts that are hard for you or you don't see as being readily apparent or important. Your authority is not your preference. Authority is also not personal. We don't have authority in and of ourselves. This is common today as well, as people go around saying that they can name it and claim it. They claim that things are true and God must do it for them. If they claim health, God is obliged. If they claim wealth, God is obligated. And somehow they say that this is a part of the gospel. The gospel is about how God is obligated to us we think somehow even that if we say some sort of magic words or magic prayer, God is obligated because of what we have done to save us. Or because of things that we have done. Because we have been kind to our aged parents. Or because we have always tried to discipline our children. Somehow, God is obligated to give us heaven. And we make a false gospel because of a false authority. This is something that is all too common. You see, the wrong authority is works-based. Think about the nature of a works-based gospel. We get to decide what things God rewards. We get to decide if we do them. And we get to decide if they have been performed properly enough. And then we stand with our hand out expecting God to bless us, to forgive us because of what we have done. What that means, if you think that you can be right with God because of what you have done, no matter what it is, then you are placing yourself above God. And that's just not reality. That's not, just not what the Bible teaches. 
if you are in that place today, and maybe it's a more subtle variant of this, maybe you are sitting and saying to yourself, well, you know, I think I've lived a pretty good life. I don't lie that much, certainly not as much as Bob down the street. And I'm faithful to my spouse, and I'm relatively kind to my kids. Especially better than all the horror stories you see on TV. If anybody deserves heaven, it's me. If you are thinking this way, you must give it up. It is the way of death. Because you are thinking that you are God. And I'll let you in on a secret. You're not. You can't make it rain right now. You can't make it 80 degrees. You can't move the sun or the moon. You can't cause the waves to part. You did not speak and everything came into existence. And you see, we need to be reminded of this, what authority is not. But then what is authority then? Authority is something that Paul points us to here. Authority is found in God's Word. Because you see, the alternative to us not being in authority is not a complete lack of authority. The world is not a cosmic free-for-all. The world is an orderly place where God is in authority. You see here what Paul says, declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Now this word here for authority is a very sharp word. Paul is the only one that uses it in the New Testament. And it's a word that is borrowed from military language. Now, some of you have served in the armed forces. Could you imagine being a private and hearing from a colonel, soldier, go over there, and your response being, really don't feel like it now. I, I, you know, I, I, I think it's better if I stay over here. Have you thought about why I should go over there? Let's have a discussion about this. Explain to me, right? That's not how things work in the army, is it? It's not how things work in the Navy, is it? But you see, this is somehow the way we think the world works. But see, Paul says, no, you are to be have all authority, Titus, and you have all authority because of what God has declared in his word. You see, this word for authority is used in other places of God's command of God's authority. This is not Titus's authority. This is not even Paul's authority. Paul and Titus have authority because they are steeped in God's Word. God's Word, as it speaks to us, is comprehensive in its authority. A good preacher does not provide insights in the Bible to his congregation. A good preacher tells his congregation God's commands. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ if you would be saved. Repent or perish. Follow the Lord. Be kind to one another. This is the way God's word comes to us. Because it comes to us from God. And as we speak the word to each other, as we study the word as it is before us, it is something that comes to us by way of authority and command from the Lord. And this is the way the gospel comes. Paul puts it this way in Romans 16. 
But now it has been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all the nations according to the command, same word, of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, beloved, it's not an option. It's not something you go in to a restaurant and look at a large menu with all sorts of things on it with a Jesus and a Buddha and a Hindu and an Allah and a tree God and an ancestor God and you decide which fits best your lifestyle. Now the gospel says you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is an authoritative command from God. It is the only way of life. That's an authority from God. Because you see, God knows. Parents do this all the time, don't we? We speak with great authority to our children and we brook no resistance in things that we know, if they are not obeyed, have horrific consequences. You will not kick that soccer ball in the street. I'm not even going to discuss it. You will not run with scissors. There is no discussion. Because we know the consequences of this. And God is the one who knows the eternal consequences of rebellion against Him and of rebellion against the Lord Jesus. So His authority comes to us. It is an authority that is real. Notice what Paul says. His first word is declare. It's the same word that he uses in chapter 2, verse 1. There it's translated teach. It's a real authority. It must express itself in a practical way. Declare, Paul says. Declare these things. Provide an understanding of God's word to God's people. It is real and it is clear as well. Because we are to declare something. And it's not vague. It doesn't vary from person to person. What Paul says, we are to declare these things. Well, the immediate question then is, What are the things? And as we look back, we see what Titus is to declare to us, to you and to me, is that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's what we are to declare. We are to trumpet as we have opportunities, especially this season, to declare that grace has appeared in the person of Jesus Christ. And we must follow Him. And once we have embraced Him by faith, after we have been given the gift of faith by the Holy Spirit, we must continue to follow Him. We must then renounce all ungodliness and all worldly passions. And we must live self-controlled, upright lives. We must be followers of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why so often Jesus uses that phrase, follow me? Perhaps even more often than believe in me. Because following Jesus requires first a belief and a trust in Him to go where He is going, that He knows what is best, that He is in charge, that He is the King. That's what we are called to do. To believe on Jesus. To follow Him. This is the source of authority. It is God's Word before us. But... Paul just tells Titus that he must also exercise this authority, and he describes it in two ways here. 
Titus is to declare these things, and he is also to exhort and to rebuke with all authority. Now, we have to understand that it is not enough to simply pass on content. As we declare God's word, whether we are preaching others or preaching to ourselves, it must take root in us. It must be applied. And so Paul does something interesting here. You don't perhaps notice it because of the vocabulary. There are three verbs here in this first sentence and a fourth verb in the second sentence of chapter 15. Declare, exhort, rebuke, and do not let them. Every one of those is a command. It's an imperative. It's a hey you kind of verb. Paul only uses 14 of those kinds of words, commands, in this whole letter. And four of them are in this verse. Do you think Paul wants to get our attention? Do you think he wants us driving here? And there is a crescendo effect. Declare, but also exhort, but also rebuke, and don't let anyone do this. He's building up. You see, he wants us to apply the truths of God's word to our lives. Have you ever watched someone who was a professional bystander? You know, they don't repair things. They stand off to the side like this and make commentary. Well, you know, I would have done that. I don't think that's going to work, right? Maybe in sports. Are the best coaches the ones who stand off to the side and watch the guys run around and make running commentary and jokes? Do they just make commentary about how they're supposed to hit the pads or how they're supposed to make the cuts or how they're supposed to throw the curve? No, they get in there. They're active. And you see, as we approach the Word of God, we must be active as well. We are not bystanders to the Word of God. We must exhort one another. We must exhort each other, ourselves. Husbands, you must exhort your wives to godliness. You must exhort your wives to trusting the Lord. Mothers, you must exhort your children. If you want them to grow up godly, you need not so much rules as you need a form of godliness, of spirituality that comes only by the work of God, from the Word of God, applied by the Spirit of God. And that comes from pointing them to the Word. This is how we encourage one another. We exhort. This is just an example of what Paul has said in chapter 1, verse 9, when he says that the man who would be an elder must be someone who is able to give instruction, who is able to encourage. It's true of all of us. But we can't just stop there. The Word builds up. We have to declare what the Word says. Remember the, the, these things. We must also know that these things involve what God has declared in verse 12 and also that we are able to do it by the power of God, verse 13, because of the great hope that is before us. But we must then move to the next step as well. Because if we're honest with ourselves, God's word is not always obeyed. Some of you perhaps have had the experience of sharing the gospel with someone and they say, that's interesting. I'm glad you believe that. 
that may be true for you, but not so much for me. Right? Some of you perhaps have had the experience of trying to train up children or disciples and following after the way that God has laid out the truth in his word. And there has been a response of, you know, I don't think that's the best way to do things. I I just think I'm going to make my own way here. You see, Paul says it's not enough to declare, to give people understanding. It is not enough simply to exhort, to encourage, and to build up. There are times when we must rebuke. When we must tell the person who says, well, you know, this Jesus, that's good for you, but, you know, I really find peace in just going out on the beach and and worshiping the waves. Do not respond, beloved, with anger or fierceness. But do not respond with, oh, that's nice. That's a situation where you must rebuke. You must say, you know, you may think that, but... The waves didn't make themselves. And the one who created the waves tells me in his word that we are not to worship the creature, but the creator. And the waves are magnificent, and the beach is incredible because it's part of God's creation. You must seek him, not the creature. You see, we have to rebuke at times. Now, we think of rebuking as being something that we must be angry or raise our voices or be or be obnoxious or that when that is over someone will get all red-faced and leave but rebuking just means not leaving someone in their sin and if we think of it that way then we often the person who needs rebuke more than anyone else in the world is ourselves right who's most able to rebuke himself But himself, wherever you go, there you are. Whatever situation you are in, you're there. As you study God's word, you need to preach God's word to yourself. To remind yourself of the truths of God's word. To remind yourself the power of Jesus Christ. This is an exercise of authority, both with others, but also primarily, I think, with ourselves. Well, the source of authority is God and His Word. The exercise of authority is applying that Word to our lives. But why should we do this? This is where we come to the famous, so what, question. Why? I think the reason that we see this is in the last sentence of verse 15. Paul tells Titus, let no one disregard you. Now, Paul has been building up here. He's got imperative verbs. There's an increasing intensity. He's described how the power of authority comes from God's word. And he then says, you cannot let anyone disregard you. Now, what does it mean to be disregarded? This is a very expressive word. It means literally to look around something. And this gets us back to our bystander mode. It's walking up to something and observing it from all angles. Seeing what it looks like. This is how you observe a pulpit. It's not how you use it. It's not how you are affected by it. You see... 
we are detached from things. When we detach ourselves from God's Word, when we attach, detach ourselves from God's servants, we become bystanders. And we are unaffected by the Word of God. And you see, Paul here tells Titus that he should give no occasion for anyone to look at him oddly. His life should be one of grace and mercy. And we will see more of this next week as we look at the other part of grace. Not just the authority that comes from God, but of a gentleness. The gospel is authoritative in its command to believe, but it is also gentle in the way that it comes to us. But you see, we are not to give ourselves or others any other options because the Word of God doesn't. The Word of God does not lay before us options. It declares to us the will of God that we are to believe and that we are to obey. And these imperative verbs that I've been talking about, they are present imperatives. That means that it is something that is ongoing. We are to declare to ourselves and to others. We are to encourage ourselves and others all the time. We are to rebuke ourselves in our sin all the time with all authority. But there's something else that's buried here in this. Let no one disregard you is a pretty universal statement, isn't it? No one is, in a sense, everyone. We might put it another way. Everyone, Titus, has to pay attention to you as you declare these things, as you exhort them, and as you rebuke them. There is no one that gets to stand back from the Word of God. There is no one who is not responsible for the claims of the Gospel. Not one. What that means here today is, if you have been badly hurt, badly hurt by your parents, if you have been thrown into confusion by churches in the past, by friends. If you are in deep pain over that doesn't give you a pass from the gospel. Either the command of the gospel to believe or the great blessing of the gospel as it comes and heals. No one is outside the gospel. We may try and place ourselves outside, but no one is. Everyone must heed the call of the Lord in His Word. All people. The Word applies to everyone. Even you. There's one other thing, though, that Paul is telling Titus. He's also telling him what it means not to disregard, not to be evasive about things. This word disregard is, is used in in an ancient Greek legal proceeding in which a widow is complaining against those who are supposed to take care of her and her worldly possessions and they have not done so and she says they have disregarded my inability to do this. They have despised it. They have looked down upon it. And you see, Paul here tells us not to disregard, not to think little of, not to despise the Word of God. Because that, as we said before, 
is the path of self-justification. We think we know what is important. We think we know where the answers are. Are you here today disregarding the word of the Lord? Because the word of the Lord does not give you the option to believe Jesus is a good teacher. Or a really good teacher. Or a really, really, really good teacher only. The Word of God tells you you must believe that He is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, who became incarnate and lived a perfect life and died a death that we might have forgiveness and freedom of sins. There's no wiggle room there. There's no ability to disregard what God has laid down. But the same is true for those who have come and embraced the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. You don't get to pick which of the Ten Commandments you like or you think are helpful for society. You don't get to choose to honor one of your parents and not the other. You see, the words of God's command come to you. God is calling you right now to obedience to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. But the great blessing is that these commands of God that seem so high, like a mountain, unbelievable, impossible to climb, we look and we want to whittle them down to something we can do, and that is the worst thing you can do. Do not make the commands of God smaller so that you can do them, because you can't. The commands of God are mammoth and massive and beyond our capacity because only God can work that work in us. You cannot believe in Jesus and give your full faith and trust in Him without God. You cannot follow Jesus without the work of the Holy Spirit in your midst. It's foolish to try. You see, that takes us back to this authority issue. This authority is really God's authority because it's God's plan and God's will. Are you ready to follow Him? Are you ready to lay everything before Him to know that your only hope is in what He has told you you must do? That's the call here this morning. I'm exhorting you. I'm rebuking you with all authority. Not because I'm important. Not because I think you can do it. But because God in His Word is creating a people for Himself, unspotted by sin, to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just now, but forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You that You have declared Your truth, that You have not given us any options, that You have not given us any way that we might go astray, but Lord, that You have made a path straight. We pray, Lord, by Your Spirit and by Your Word, You would equip us. You would enliven us. You would give us the grace that we need to do your will. It is only in you, O Lord, that we find the ability. It is only in the grace and the merit of Jesus Christ that we find hope. Be with us, O Lord.
encourage us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.